We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Record. <laughs> We're live. All right. Welcome back to episode 25 of The Nth Dimension. We're in the second half of the world, and I have possibly... One of my favorite people to have on with me on the show because his insights are just amazing. So now I know how to pronounce his name properly as well because he just didn't correct me the first two times. <laughs> Nassim, <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. So let me just tell, why, why don't we tell people how I called you Nassim the first few times and you just <laughs> refused to correct me. And then, I don't know, out of the blue, I was like, is it Nassim or Nassim? <laughs> I, well, I, I'm, I'm just so used to people having like so many different ways of, of pronouncing it. So at this <laughs> point, yeah, it's not really a big issue for me. When I was so, in Australia, everyone calls me Nassim. Even <laughs> if I say, oh, it's Nassim, they just, they always just, saying a sim so it's not a big <laughs> problem for me because <laughs> some people um have an issue with and i think i'm one of those one of those people now increasingly where i have a problem mm. with people anglicizing my name because mm. i'm like like i when i speak spanish for example i make sure that i unroll my r's and i'm like saying pedro and not Pe pedro you know, because right. like you just have to make that extra effort. So I'm like, why can't other people um, who aren't used to non-English names make that effort as well? So um, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's interesting because I'm sure I mispronounce a lot of names as well. Right. So like, yeah, if I hear same. a name for the first time and it has like difficult to pronounce characters in it, then, you know, I'll probably say it wrong maybe a couple of times. So those give people the benefit of the doubt. I guess um, like it's always nice to ask and then... Yeah, 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 like I, I would ask someone, hey, how do you pronounce your name? I clearly didn't do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's I just, not a problem. <laughs> I just assumed it was Nassim. <laughs> well, Anyways. it's not spelled phonetically, right? Like, yeah. So pronouncing it Nassim would be like a reasonable way to, to pronounce it based on the way that it's spelled. That's true. And I think in, maybe have I met people who are Nassims and... I don't know. Possible. I just assumed. Anyways, so um, as I told you, Nassim, <laughs> <laughs> um, today's podcast is going to be a little different. I have taken a big fat break. Um, I was feeling a little burnt out by the news. Um, so today, like we're doing things a bit differently, trying to do like a bit of a Joe Rogan style podcast, who I have been listening to a lot during this um, lockdown down kind of lockdown reopening and i thought this this is the perfect day and month to be honest to be having this because we are literally officially in the latter half of the year so it provides us a nice sort of vantage point um to see everything that has happened so far and so there's no real like theme to the episode but 
I've kind of called it like recapping 2020 so far. And okay. the, the Lord knows there's a lot to be done. Very <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, so uh, let's just talk about like where we are at with the pandemic, I guess. Is someone selling vegetables outside your house? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I would just close that. Because it's pain for you to edit this later. No, no my that... neighbors are crazy. I think I live next to a Spanish-speaking video game streamer, like a Twitch streamer. Because I just hear him, like, yelling and swearing in Spanish all day while he's playing video games. <laughs> I'm trying to get him to stop. It's not going to stop. Yeah. So you just hear him, he'll like die in the game or something, and he'll be like, puta madre, and he'll like scream it, mierda, you can just like, the whole complex, they live in this like weird condo complex where there's a courtyard and you can like see into everyone's units, yeah. and um, so you can literally hear him, his voice echoing through the courtyard, That's hilarious. whatever video game he's playing, I don't know. I really hope he's like video gaming and not selling, I don't know, <laughs> narcotics on some illegal stock market. Well, it's funny because I, I said to G, like, I was like, oh, he must be like losing in his video game. And she's like, oh, that's what he's doing. Like, it's, she's not like a gamer. She doesn't play games that make you angry. So she doesn't know like why someone would be sitting there staring at the television. Uh, so my, um, my brother games a fair amount in the evening to relax and I, I hear him and his friend like they play together I don't know how that works took took me mm. took took me an hour took me a fair minute thanks to you we were able to set this mic up so not that great <laughs> with technology but I hear them going off a lot they're just like swearing I'm not gonna swear on this podcast because kids are welcome yeah. <laughs> only in Spanish <laughs> only in Spanish um ooh. But, but yeah, I feel like gamers, it's intense. I'm like, how is this relaxing? Yeah. You yeah. know, you're like totally into it. And how, I don't understand how this is a way to unwind from your day. <laughs> I think I just like turned that corner just recently where I'm like, I'm not going to play video games that make me angry anymore. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And what got you to that place? Cause they're, and like, why are video games so violent? And also, do, I wonder like, if you're walking around with a gun shooting people, I wonder if there are any studies done on this, like making people violent. It's, it's definitely weird. Like <laughs> humans, right? humans have like a weird kind of duality about, you know, you wouldn't want to see any of this in real life, but there's like a certain level of cartoonish violence that's okay and also really enjoyable to people. So it's kind of a weird thing that's to think true. about if you're like playing a game where you're running around killing people. Yeah. I, know, kinda, I remember yeah, when I used to play strange. Sims, I used to randomly do sadistic shit to my people. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I would, right? I would like put them in like a little room with an oven and then they would start a <laughs> fire and they would burn everything. Yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I think everyone has done that. Everyone, that's so interesting what you said about human beings having a weird duality. Wow, we can be so sadistic. Actually, we see that on Twitter and online, like people are weirdly, um, they're so divisive and full of hate and mean. Mm. Maybe it's like, I wonder if this is inherent and then society has put us in, like, we have to abide by certain rules in society so we can behave that way. But I don't think, like, I don't know, are you divisive and hateful online? No, no, I'm not. Right? <laughs> not at all. Such an... I don't know, we have a... 
well, since we're doing a Joe Rogan style podcast, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about chimpanzees. <laughs> I don't know what percentage, we're like 99 point something similar in, in terms of our genetic profile to chimps. And really? yeah, like they do stuff like this all the time too. Like they're, they have like tribal warfare, basically, like they'll occupy different territories and have like territory wars and chimp tribes will kill other chimp tribes and stuff like really? that. Really? We are yeah. awfully tribalistic though, I have to say. Um, I can't remember now where I had this realization where it was something happening on uh, online or in the main, maybe it'll come to me later, but Anyways, I, dig I digress, but tell me something. What do you think about Joe Rogan? Uh, <laughs> I like Joe Rogan. I was actually surprised to realize that like the political content he consumes is actually really similar to the political content I consume. Like when he was talking about um, where he gets his news, he said he watches Rising. He said he yeah. watches uh, Matt Taibbi. He follows Matt Taibbi. I think he watches the useful Kyle Kalinsky. Kyle Kalinsky. Yeah, like he's. He said yeah. he would vote for Bernie out of anyone. So he's like really tapped into progressive politics. Did and you then somehow, see that? Sorry. Yeah. I was just say, somehow there's this kind of like, I don't know, hanging over that. There's this kind of like manliness, kind of facade or not facade, but. Yeah, like where he's into like UFC and like eating elk meat and hunting and stuff like that. So it's just kind of like an interesting <laughs> mushroom like, coffee. Yeah, mushroom <laughs> coffee. Yeah, no, I like Joe Rogan. I think he's actually I I hadn't watched a lot of his stand up until recently, mm -hmm. and I never really took him seriously as a stand up comedian because I thought oh, it's like the UFC guy and stuff like that. But he's actually hilarious. His stand up's really good. And what's it? I've actually not watched any of his recent stand up. Like I think I've watched his stand up from from when like he was not this buff and I don't think he was on steroids. So a long time ago and when <laughs> he had hair. <laughs> I feel like it look how huge his neck and his body are. Like he was skinny. <laughs> that does, is that what steroids does to you? I mean it makes you all muscular and bulky, right? <laughs> Please Only don't... if you work out. <laughs> you can't well, just I mean, like take I steroids mean... and get muscular. <laughs> <laughs> just like I mean... lets you work out more. <laughs> Okay, let, okay, he compliments his, he works out a lot. He compliments his, yeah, yeah. you know, he does um, jiu-jitsu. I was going to say, what's that rolling around on the floor sport? <laughs> <laughs> he does jiu-jitsu and um, he does Muay Thai, I think, and weightlifting. But like, mm. um, for, so his stand-up, like from back in the day when he had hair on his head was okay. But right. what's his content like now? I actually have no idea. I haven't checked him out on uh, his comic comedic content. I guess I would describe it as like the kinds of stuff you'd come up with when you're like a bit stoned, like not like stoner comedy, but like kind of like stoner philosophical thinking. <laughs> but it's actually pretty clever and interesting. At least I find it. The reason I asked this is because I have a few thoughts like, I, I really do enjoy listening to Joe Rogan for his authenticity. And I think one of the reasons that I wanted to do a podcast this time, and I think you're the best person to uh, to kind of try this content out with because 
you are, you know, a thinker and you think about the world and it's easy. Both of us have, you know, spoken a number of times and we know that conversation can go from here, hither to dither without, without any problems. Um, but apparently people have problems with Joe Rogan. Like, and we're at some point, I suppose we are going to talk about, you know, canceling, but he's apparently been canceled many times. And I listened to him again for his authenticity for, there's no like fixed agenda. He just gets people on and, you know, they talk about whatever. Usually it funnels down to the interest of the speaker. Um, and a lot of the stuff that he says on his shows sometimes is nonsense. And like, but then that's true for anybody. And I think because he's so, um, he's so spontaneous that you're bound to, and he says this himself, like if you bring someone on for two, two and a half hours, their real self is bound to come on and they're bound to be authentic and their authentic self is going to say some stupid stuff, right? But then sometimes I notice, like I read this article which said, um, why, do, why do men like Joe Rogan so much or something like that? It was an Atlantic article, if I remember correctly. And in that, the author mentioned that his comedy is quite um, homophobic and like not misogynistic but not outrightly so it's like he he still believes that some of these things the author argues like he still believes Mm. that joe rogan still believes that some of these things are weird and abnormal and no matter how much he tries on his podcast to seem like he's left and he does you know whenever he talks i never feel like oh my god this guy is super center to right and some things are sure um but I have noticed like from his, the number of like women to men he gets on, you know, I feel that way. He's a bit male, ultra male. And there was this one particular conversation with Andrew Schultz. Have you checked him out on YouTube? Oh yeah. 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 yeah? This what like Andrew Schultz, I just discovered him and I, whatever I've watched of him, I wasn't like, Oh my God, what an abhorrent guy. He hasn't said anything to offend me yet. But in that particular podcast, the two of them were just like, I felt like they were getting off of each other's masculine energy, you know? And they were just, they just said some like weird crap, you know, super misogynistic. And it it, like, so I don't know. I, I have... I feel like he should be taken with a grain of salt, but I was just curious if you have felt like, I don't necessarily feel vibe with him many times or because he, he has right. been canceled a lot by pop culture and I don't really understand why. Yeah. I guess he could like separate his like left, right uh, political spectrum into like different uh, elements. So maybe socially he's not as far on the left as he is like economically for instance um like there i guess there's like different forms of progressivism and um i think like a more like commonly held belief is like people tend to be more um economically progressive and then socially conservative just like by and large in society i I would say Uh, i guess depending on like what circles you you tend to move in so like maybe he 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 definitely seems to have more appeal with that crowd of like people who aren't as like socially further into the left at least in just in terms of like um like some of the remarks you're saying that he was making 
but I don't necessarily, I think they're just kind of riffing a lot of the time. Maybe that's like offensive or harmful to some people. I could definitely like see an argument for that. But like, I, I don't know. I don't know if like anyone's really supposed to take Joe Rogan that seriously. And like, this is something he's expressed frequently as well. Like he is kind of first and foremost, like a comedian in my mind. Mm -hmm. I know now he's like a massive like media figure and maybe that transcends that. Um, but uh, yeah, kind of first and foremost, he's a comedian and I, I feel like every single comedian is experiencing people kind of coming after them and trying to take away their platform or their voice. And, but what yeah. is it about like so many comedians who, like the intersection between comedy and news, I feel has become <laughs> more true. common or I feel like, or the more, um, the way people, the medium of consuming news has become through comedy. Like there's right. Andrew Schultz, for example, who I just mentioned, he's a comedian. Uh, John mm. Stewart, Trevor Noah, John Oliver, uh, Joe Rogan may not say he, like he says, don't listen to me. I know nothing. I'm not a news guy. But then, you know, frequently like he divides his guests up between like comics, fighters, and so-called thinkers you know so so i feel like even for someone like for i remember at some point john stewart said like i'm a comic first like don't take me so seriously but then that that's a bit confusing to me because your content is so newsy and po political then like do you get what i'm saying like how can you but i think I think someone like Jon Stewart is kind of like satirizing the news in a certain way. I think the only reason we look to these people, I mean, they, they're, they're good at what they do in terms of political commentary. Like I, I enjoyed Jon Stewart on The Daily Show. Um, but I think that that avenue opened up in large part because the media sucks so much. Like the news media is so bad at their job that if you have someone who's like a straight shooter and who's actually trying to report on the facts and um, you know, stand up for the good of the people. Like that seems to be so much lacking in the news media space that I feel like a lot of people have, have gone to look for um, news from different sources. And then also obviously it's just like an entertaining way to, to receive your information. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about like the news industry a lot and it's like something that is so personal to me because I have a very love-hate relationship with the industry. But... Mm -hmm. And today when you sent me that um, <laughs> extension to bypass uh, <laughs> paid <Paywalls>. media, <laughs> paywall, yeah, yeah. I did, honestly, I didn't even bat an eyelid because <laughs> I really didn't. I was like, when you texted, when you messaged like, oh, I feel guilty. I was like, really? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, not at all, you know? And I've been thinking a lot about how I feel like the media is a bigger culprit than politicians to right to in in causing so much so much like that's happening around us i feel like i want to blame the media more than i want to blame the politicians right i feel like they're both kind of tools of the ruling elite in a way like um it's kind of like an extension of the power of the ruling elite to a certain degree um, in, in terms of their influence over what the media reports and in terms of what policy politicians are going to put forward. 
So I, I almost feel like they're all kind of part of the same toolkit, all like kind of on the same team and like the actual structure of, of how they, you know, exhibit whatever actions they are kind of like, you can trace that up to m- mm. more like root causes in a way. Yeah. So I'm sure you know this, like recently Toronto Star was bought by someone who is fairly conservative is this right I, I can't remember who's who it's been bought by now but and then recently they did that article for example about how um they did a profile on this young millennial and the way he she i can't remember they are spending their money and, yeah, it, yeah. and it was totally they were they, they were shamed for it and i'm glad because that was such a that was such a um insignificant article you know and but then i'm just like i've been wondering a lot about like what is the way to what is the way to to um transform the media industry and you know there's some things some values and news that have been like sacred for example like objectivity and facts and um obviously not misquoting people and i think truth and factual information is important but i wonder if like the news can ever be objective and whether we need to strive for objectivity in news in the first place and like as you who consumes like i participate in supplying news as well and i'm a consumer but as someone who consumes news like what what do you what do you feel about it that can that needs to change and or what are the ways in which like you're consuming news that's not that you feel is not helping the narrative? I, I think it suffers from like there's a lot of industries suffer that suffer from having a profit incentive. So like healthcare should not have a profit incentive, like prisons should not have a profit incentive. And I would argue so for the most part the media should also not have a profit incentive. Cause then what it leads them to do is they want to show kind of sensational, kind of clickbaity. Like, you know, clickbait stories have basically taken over like the entire industry. So a lot of this is just like in the, in the competition for attention, you're kind of going further and further down the brainstem and trying to bypass people's like rational thinking faculties to just immediately be able to a- attach, you know, like to gain their attention. Um, so I think that's like the main problem is it's the, the news media, the industry is dying and then to survive, they basically have to compete for people's attention against things like Facebook and like other tech giants and platforms and things mm-hmm. like that. And then it, it's kind of like a race to the bottom at this point, in my opinion. And you can, you see like some people being able to break off from that. Like even, you know, I a lot I don't like about the New York Times, but they've been able to produce a pretty successful business model and trying to, you know, like a subscription model um, mm-hmm. for the most part. In, in differentiating themselves from everyone else and saying, okay, we are actually the ones who still have integrity and will report you the facts or, you know, like we have, we actually do in-depth reporting and send people on scene and these kinds of things. And so they've kind of carved out a space from all that clickbaity stuff. So you're kind of seeing mm-hmm. like a, a, a new wave coming in as a result of it, as, as people are choosing to reject it. But yeah, for a long time, I think it just has suffered from from the kind of capitalist pressures that are being put onto it as have so many other industries. But not many people have like that disposable income, right? To 
um, to subscribe. And then when there is yeah. so much information out there, like if not, I can just go on Twitter or I can go on Reddit. Um, well, it's probably wild that New York Times is trying to um, report the facts to to please the kind of upper class liberal audiences, probably the people who can afford to subscribe to the New York Times. Yeah. And then again, it's like that chicken or egg thing, right? Like so much of New York Times' audience is that certain section of society who may, let's say, vote for Biden. Then what incentive do they have to report um objectively like are they reporting objectively if they're if i pick and choose who i interview if i pick and choose um you know the angle of the story and if i see that my audience is more um upper class white elite who will go in a certain direction like won't i pander to them you know so in that sense like that's why I've been thinking a lot about like objectivity and if it's even necessary rather like I'd much rather you're upfront right. with me about what your leanings are and maybe like Andrew Yang's democracy dollars ideas should be like brought into meet the media as well where people are given a certain amount of money every month and then you give it to to like mm. two meet or three media outlets that you want you know he he proposed he had a proposal for trying to fund local journalism for that uh, really? for that exact reason yeah to through the government to ensure that local journalism can can survive because a lot of the facts a lot of the reporting actually starts at the local level and then is picked up by bigger outlets as well um, yeah yeah so i think it's it's kind of like a problem on many fronts at this point yeah, and I agree. I think you kind of, if you're upfront about your bias, that's a lot better than if you're saying you don't have a bias and then reporting in a very skewed manner. Yeah, I'd much rather people just be honest about it. Yeah, because we all have a bias, right? Like, it, I mean, in anything that we do, the way we perceive the world is through our biases, and we can work very hard at like introspecting and see what biases we have and knock them down but is it like i don't know if it's possible to exist without bias and you know anand i don't know how to pronounce his last name anand Giradas, the winners take all author oh, yeah, yeah. you know he he mentioned this on in an interview about like journalists acting through biases and it is it it, it comes out in and again like the words you choose even it comes down to the language you know so it's just not possible to to be like objective and if i'm just going to report on like you know 10 people died on may 13th like that then that doesn't give you enough information for people to what what information are you giving them to people in the first place but um, and I and I wonder, like, how do you think a lot of what's happening in the states right now is because of the way it's happening because of the media's failure, for example? A lot of like what's happening to their country. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think I think the well, like I was saying, the media I think is kind of just like a tool. It's kind of the the problems of the media are a symptom of like a bigger problem that is also afflicting pretty much like every avenue of society 
I think politicians as well as the police as well as you know all all of these are kind of different pillars that have been and you could say like infected by elite influence mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, I think a lot of them are just kind of carrying out based on their incentives mm -hmm. um, in order to be a politician, you kind of have to play this game they kind of filter out all the people with integrity you know in the in the world of politicians as well as they do in the world of media figures as well as they do in the world of policing to a certain degree these people are just filtered out and then you're kind of left with a lot of bad actors and people who are willing to act in a way that it preserves the existing power structure why is the world so skewed towards so skewed towards like it's so elite front you know corporate right. political basically any anyone with money i've realized like i've been following this um jeffrey epstein case quite well whatever i've been following it because it's so intriguing to me and i i think i've just come to realize if you have a lot of money you can get anything done so yeah. why like why is it that we are so the world is so bent in favor of anyone who has power and influence and then in that way like how how much have humans evolved like how is our society so far from the feudal system that we used to live in where there was like a king and then a bunch of peasants you know what i'm I saying was, i think it was karl marx who said like the history of all humanity is class struggle mm. yeah <clears throat> I totally agree. The Epstein situation is insane. Like, if you think about, did you watch the Netflix documentary? Yeah, what did you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I was, oh my God, I, could, I was crazy to watch. Because you're basically seeing, like, one of the most extreme examples of elite privilege. Like, this, this guy was basically, what do you have to do as an elite to be able to be held accountable you know what i mean like he basically was raping girls for like 10 years straight longer like several decades before there was ever any pressure from you know the police or the fbi like to, to actually be able to successfully put pressure against him and even then like he kind of just skated by like he got that what they call it, the sweetheart deal from alex acosta the non-prosecution agreement Basically, like Pablo Escobar, except yeah, except he he's a sex offender in America. But he got the same deal. Like Pablo Escobar got the sweet ass jail, you mm. know, with like luxurious, like top class stuff. And that's exactly what Jeffrey Epstein got as well. And he was homebound, right? Like he no, yeah. he was allowed to leave. He was allowed to leave. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. Like I first of all, so I have so many questions on the Jeffrey Epstein thing. Like, I'm so mad. You're right that he was accused as a sex offender, right? And then he got that sweetheart deal. Even after that, like, mm. I feel like anyone who associated with him after that is an accomplice. Is that too far right. to say? <laughs> it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, like, I do wonder, like, how many of these people knew what he was actually up to? But there, was, there are like he's been accused as a sex offender. Uh, Epstein, like after he was accused yeah. as a sex offender. Yeah, after he was accused, yeah, like clearly. Like if they had even looked in like briefly to what he was accused of, I think like I'm all for redemption, but I think you he's he's written off at this point. You can go, he was way beyond redemption. Way. This is a guy you cannot say like, oh, he's still a friend and 
he did wrong things, but he's still a good guy. No, this guy is like the scum of the earth at this point. So I don't like, know how Elon anyone Musk can was hanging out with, with him after after he was accused as a sex offender. Trump. I'm not sure if Bill Clinton was before or after. Well, that's what one thing I was wondering because Clinton came on. He has like these uh, records of people who came onto his private plane. I think Bill Clinton came on like over today or something like that. Today, it was confirmed in documents revealed in court that he that Bill Clinton was at the island. So I'm like, yeah, if you haven't done anything wrong, like being at someone's island, may you may you may not know, but you may not have. He must have known, though. Yeah, that exactly. But if you haven't, him. like, if you have knowing Bill Clinton, I'm pretty sure he he you know messed around with the women there. I'm okay. Probably. That's it. I don't <laughs> know. If I, this, I don't. <laughs> I don't want a libel case coming for me. <laughs> apparent. Just for the lawyers out there, like allegedly, apparently, whatever. But not even allegedly. I guess we can say we're just openly speculating. For we're amusement. speculating. <laughs> No one come after us. We're just two innocent people in Toronto having a conversation. Discussing sex offenders. Discussing sex offenders. Can we call him offenders. a sex offender? Is that... Oh, hell yeah. He, Human trafficker. Sex trafficker. Child abuser. Child no, I mean, sex Clinton. Clinton. Oh, Cl oh, this was all for Epstein. <laughs> yeah, of course Epstein's a sex offender. I mean, this Bill is all Clinton. for... I don't... I mean... No, I'm not sure... Illegally, can you call him a sex offender? Like, can he sue you for calling him a sex offender? He could probably, uh, man, I don't know. Americans He's like definitely sex offended. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And just Bill Clinton is an, is an atrocious, is that word? Atrocious human being. Atrocious, I, yeah, I feel, I feel bad for Hillary Clinton that she I, got no, the Hillary brunt. Clinton sucks too. I mean, she sucks <laughs> as well, but I feel like she, she, like most of the, venomous um vitriolic attack towards her is a part of is because of him as well and i wonder no, she what about like the during the 1994 crime bill and everything that was happening there she was calling black people super predators and stuff like that really? hillary clinton has i have talked. no i had no, no idea. you have to go back and look at hillary really she's not innocent she's part she, of she's the not hillary clinton's rich bill clinton doesn't come from a rich family like hillary clinton is his tie-in to elite circles you know i guess he worked his way into that world but really he was, she, yeah she's always been the one who has existed in elite circles and you can you know you can find a bunch of photos with her way across like uh, for a long time and in, in photos with all these other elites including you know people like trump like i don't know i think trump attended her daughter's wedding what? oh yes yes yes, yes he did wrong, but yeah, so they're all, they all kind of like hang around together. And I feel like the whole thing comes across a bit like professional wrestling to me. Mm. Because they have like the rest. Did you ever I like hear how you the, said that. the curtain call moment in wrestling? No. It was, um, there, there's this big WWE event, I guess. And at the end of the event, the, all of the wrestlers like kind of came together and did like kind of like a bow kind of thing at the mm -hmm. end of it they all like put their arms over each other and I guess they were proud about their performance or something like that mm -hmm. and they got a ton of backlash in the wrestling community because people are like what the hell man like you're breaking the third wall or the fourth wall <laughs> they, like they they were all angry that they made it look like it, like they showed that it wasn't real. I guess you'd have to be an idiot to think that it's real, but mm -hmm. they basically explicitly showed that the whole thing wasn't real and it was just an act. And That's people so were not ha happy about it, right? So yeah. it really changed the, like, the dynamic in wrestling. 
And I feel like we kind of have like the same thing going on in politics to a certain degree. It's like people are starting to realize that a lot of this is kind of an act and that they kind of put on these like wrestling personas in the public and the way that they act with each other. But then behind the scenes, a lot of these people kind of roll around in the same circles. Or a lot of them are friends. They all kind of defend their, They're disgusting their own class also. interests together. Like that's, yeah, number one, like why do people public who are public facing feel like they need to have a persona and number two behind the curtains like i feel like so much of the jeffrey epstein case reveals of course reveals how money can help you do disgusting things but it also reveals how like how these elite have very little moral ground and very mm. little and very few values that they stand on and i think money is their only guiding value you know so the the ring the social ring around epstein has revealed more for me than the case itself like right yeah the the case is bad and you know makes me think that he made all that money again how he made that money he was a con artist i i want to just um conclude that he was a con artist according mm. to the documentary like you apparently just stole that fashion designer's money and then blackmailed him i was just gonna ask Spe speculation do you speculation, speculation <laughs> i feel like Jeffrey Epstein maybe made a lot of his money by blackmailing people. Like maybe he I, used to blackmail Clinton. Theory, this is yes, like a please. conspiracy theory that's not based in, you know, whatever. Don't sue me. But I, he, probably, <laughs> he probably got this guy to have sex with a, with a girl. Some Bill Clinton. Underage girl. All, girl, all girls are underage. <laughs> not Bill Clinton necessarily. Anyway. I won't go that far in speculating, but the fashion designer guy, what was his name? The guy who owned Victoria's Secret, where he started to get a lot of his money from. Mm. Probably he probably got him to have sex with a with a girl and then filmed it and then blackmailed him and said, if you don't give me this oh. privilege in your finances to make a lot of money, then I'm gonna release this. That's probably that's probably how it started. Yeah. Think about it. Like, why you would know, this guy just, just he basically just gave a shit, shitload of money to Jeffrey Epstein? Like he, he, I think he gave him, he made him his money manager or something like that. But like, he basically just gave him free reign to make a shitload of money off of his investments. And you think like, why would he do that? Like, exactly. they're not, they're not excellent friends or they're not, you know what I mean? There doesn't and seem why to be would someone who's lead so up to rich. why that would happen. Exactly. Why would Jeffrey you trust Epstein's someone? Jeffrey Epstein's not even like in those circles or educated. He just, he entered that world by, through fraud and by conning. Yes. And you're totally right. Like, I don't have a lot of money, but will I just blindly trust someone even with like a few hundred bucks that I may have? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you have, you need to have something over someone's head for you. I'm completely with you. I feel like this was a lot of blackmailing. And I think that Epstein realized his, um, sociopathic tendencies. And he realized that if I, am to exist in this world with any face and get away with the pedophilia and the sex abuse and the violence, then I need to have money because otherwise I won't, otherwise I'm going to have to dodge and cage and run and hide. But this way he was like out in the open and doing everything that he wanted 
with money as a cover-up right so what that's like an interesting question what does like, that what say came first the pedophilia or the money <laughs> like, <laughs> you could have lived without pedophilia if you didn't have money like if this is just i, don't I know, feel he like he to, yeah. i feel like if he i mean we have I think pedophiles are the scum of the earth. You said you said it yeah, yeah, right. You know they are scum of the earth. We're gonna have to push back on that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go a bit right on that statement? <laughs> um, yes, yes. Pedophiles are the scum of the earth. Go they're on. scum of the earth, right? And we, like nobody accepts that, right? And. Yeah. Even in prison, like you, pedophiles are like the bottom of the pecking. <laughs> like they get beat up in jail and stuff. Even among criminals, people hate Exactly. Them. So they that's considered immoral for everyone. So if no, like no pedophile would be treated the way Epstein has because they, they, they're not your capital elite. So <laughs> like, I'm just, I want to understand what it is about money that gives you so much power. I'm honestly, is this a naive question? I'm confused. About money that gives you, it's just and like- And gives you, you have, sociopathic tendencies. I, th I think there's some like element of class solidarity in here. I think if you go after someone that has a lot of money, then you kind of set a precedent in a way that elites are going to be held accountable. Like, I think there's kind of like a shared interest that elites don't want to ever be, have to be held accountable. Um, and I guess like they, the, obviously like the corrupting power of money and, and, and influence, they can, they can get away with it. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I think in this entire thing, I think about like, imagine what other people, other elites are getting away with if it took this long to bring Jeffrey Epstein you know, to, to put a case against him for doing what is universally agreed upon to be like the most reprehensible thing possible, not just once, but to literally hundreds of girls, right? Like, <laughs> like how could you engage in that level of criminality and not even be held accountable? And they almost didn't <laughs> even try him. He almost got away with it. They felt they were invincible. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I missed that. Like, how, how do you think he almost got away with it i'm trying to think well, I, don't, it, I guess it depends how like accurate the documentary is but what they say is like well first of all is the sweetheart deal right so he he managed to get this cushy deal like of non-prosecution for him and all of his associates um yeah and also like this cushy kind of prison time so it's basically like a slap on the wrist for committing what is a heinous crime right and then even after that, I think the FBI was reluctant to even pursue the case against him just because maybe because he has blackmail on certain people or maybe just because he has a lot of money and he can mm -hmm. buy his way through or he's connected with the right people. But mm -hmm. yeah, so he basically he, he basically almost got away with it to a certain degree mm -hmm. as far as as far as I'm aware. And look at Ghislaine Maxwell. Right? How did like, she how was she able to evade the FBI or police for so long? Well, like, what, the, what was she doing in New Hampshire? You know what I mean? She was arrested in New Hampshire. And in, this really, I had, I was so confused about this because I was like, this is a woman with three passports, right? One of her passports is for uh, a French citizenship, right? She's a citizen of France who has no extradition laws 
or, or by or maybe by blanket policy they don't extradite their, their citizens. I thought it was the UK oh, I don't know that she was I think also, it was France yeah I didn't know that so she, she could have just gone to live in France and probably never would have had to have faced any of these repercussions for her so actions. What's your conspiracy? Like, what's your conspiracy? I want, you know, I, I'm not, I like to take conspiracy theories somewhat seriously and hear me out only because I feel like they're an alternative way to look at the truth. And some conspiracy theories are, you know, so like, so dumbfounded. Of course you can't believe them, but like, I want to give every conspiracy theory a chance. So when I ask, like, what is your conspiracy theory? I'm actually asking, like, what's or your like my what's, speculation? What's your yeah. speculation? What's your alternative view of the world on this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like we're, like, talking about 5G towers giving people <laughs> cancer or something like that or yeah. whatever. Giving I won't people believe COVID. That. I don't know what the theory is, right? I mean, we're speculating into, like, kind of probable causes. You kind of have to wonder, like, what's going through probable this causes, person's, yeah. person's head to be in the United States. And mm -hmm. the only thing I can think of really is she must have she must have thought she was so far above the law. Like she must have thought she was untouchable. And for a long time they were untouchable. But you would have thought after the death of Jeffrey Epstein, you, you would have thought she would have left the country and gone somewhere where she couldn't be extradited. But she seemed to still think mm. she was untouchable. Maybe she has blackmail on people. But it's just like, even when they were, even now when she's going to be facing trial, she asked if she could spend the duration of her trial staying in a luxury hotel. So it's just, she seems to be like completely disassociated from like the reality, reality most people experience. Yeah. And that's probably just because that's been her life for a very long time is she hasn't had to face repercussions. She hasn't had to be accountable. She hasn't had to experience what every other person is, is subject to, you know, reasonable mm -hmm. accountability so all these like systems that are in place which apparently are just and lawful like why you know and i think this is also a reason why conspiracy theories are born and why people don't believe politicians because like there is a rule for them and then there's a rule for us like you're mm -hmm. and i and and maybe at any other time Ghislaine Maxwell could have gotten away with this like maybe she could have gotten a sweetheart deal where they would have put her up in a hotel but like because of the fact that Jeffrey Epstein was first offended many years ago he got that deal got away with it and then finally when he was caught and then there was like this wave of you know me too the me too movement with Weinstein and then Epstein like he there was no way for him to now escape without people getting mad you know and angry mm -hmm. that you're just letting elite people get away with it right so um i lose my train of thought but I, like you know these systems are they're just like fragile and they're they're mostly for the general population than the elite and like i wanted mm -hmm. to ask you also about what you thought about what do you think about the the we scandal that um <laughs> what's um trudeau's been yeah. caught in you know yeah yeah and despite that i'm not sure do you know anything about his polling at the moment whether it's caused any um well, i think I think he's doing relatively well in the polls due to the response to coronavirus and just generally when the country goes through something 
you know, traumatic like this, people tend to look to their leaders and leaders tend to be pretty popular. Even someone like Rudy Giuliani can be popular because of 9-11. Wow. <laughs> and that guy's a complete idiot. What are so, your thoughts on that? Because even, I feel even Doug Ford's um, polling is yeah, up, right? The last time I checked? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the bar is so low right now, especially because we live right next to the United States and like consume so much of their media. We just see like, if you can work in the world of like science and facts and logic that's like mm. gold star you know what i mean like that's like the the top right now so, so of logic just, also yeah yeah i mean ford sucks like he's <laughs> but i was actually surprised to the degree he was like saying reasonable not, things and not being you know divisive well, yeah, like that he would actually even engage in this in a in a way where he would want to lock things down and he would talk about, you know, people breaking lockdown rules and, and say he's upset about that and stuff like that, even if maybe they're not even always acting that way behind the scenes. But just generally, like, like if you look at what's happening in the States right now, look at how Trump is talking about the pandemic, calling it the Chinese virus, like mm. refusing to wear face masks, yeah. holding rallies. Even now, right? Like, the state's response has been so weird is not the word, but I want to say weird because, like, I was like, maybe for a month, two months, you can deny it. You can still be like, oh, this is crap. But then, like, you've lost what? How many lives have they lost? Like, they've literally Over 100, lost a thousand. They've lost a chunk of their population from a from a um, disease. That could that you could have uh, from that's that you could have prevented if you mm. were just you know just a normal person. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Crystal Ball in her last radar. She was saying that she thinks the economic response would have been better handled by a group of just five hundred and thirty-five random Americans picked off of the street. Um, you know, same yeah. number of, of, of that there are in Congress and. I think that's right. I would even go a step further and say you probably could have better handled this with like a class of sixth graders. I <laughs> even compared to the Canadian Parliament, I think, like, I feel like a lot of politicians and in the media, a lot of people try and make it sound like these things are hard. Like, they're, they're not hard in the sense that they're hard to come up with what we should be doing. You know what I mean? Maybe getting consensus is hard and being a leader is hard, but to come up with the right strategy, that's not hard. hard. You know it what I mean? It feels very intuitive, the right thing to do. Yeah, like literally ask a sixth grader, like we have a, a virus that's um, airborne and, and transmits in close proximity. Like, what should we do? They'd probably be like, okay, well, don't be close to people. Stay home. <laughs> be like, okay, well, now people can't work. They'd be like, all right, send the money. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, okay. <laughs> It's really that simple. <laughs> it kind but of is. Then why know? do they complicate things? Are they, yeah. Is this a naive because question? Because they suck. Because they're, <laughs> they're completely corrupt. <laughs> because they're, they're uh, not working on behalf of the American or largely here also the Canadian people, right? Like they're beholden. Who are they beholden to? They're beholden to the powerful, the powerful who helped them get elected in the first place, right? Like if you help someone get elected, who is going to do your corporate bidding. <laughs> like, it's, not, it's not hard to completely screw up that democratic process. Like the money to get someone elected to who will then just turn around and, and betray the people. It doesn't take a lot of money to do that. But why is it that like, 
here in Canada, in the UK, Canada, UK, I'm not sure about Australia. I'm not really sure what the response was. Um, France, Germany, like these are equally, I'm not sure about if Germany is an equally capitalist society, but Canada, UK for sure. You know, they're equally, if not at par with the States, equally like, um, you know, hand, hand in hand with the corporate elite, right? So why is it that compared to these two countries and the rest of Europe, like the response has been more um, people forward and call me out on this, but I, I feel like, mm. you know, more or less it's been people forward. Like here we got Serb in the UK. Um, I think up to 75% of your salary if you were for furloughed workers and similarly in France and Germany. So if they were able to do that, then why not the States? And I don't, I'm not sure what the response would have been like if Trump wasn't the leader. I feel like part of it is like, it's their culture. The media has been very effective at pushing certain cultural narratives about um, like, how you become justifying success, like for people who, you know, born into wealth, like wealthy people have to have worked hard and that they're noble and that we should like these people. Like they just have a bunch of like cultural myths and stuff like that, that people believe. They believe, you know, certain things around personal freedoms and probably like one of the places where people are most uh, obstinate about wearing a mask would be in the United States. And like kind of the closer you get culturally and geographically mm-hmm. to the United States, like the more you have that. So I think part of it is just cultural and the, the culture has been um, morphed by so much propaganda and, and lies from the media and like the culture, uh, the cultural narratives. And I think that all stems from the fact that it's just like a hyper capitalist society and the institutions they have set up there there's already a lot of institutions set up in the united states with the focus of making money and a lot of this corruption is kind of already in place so i feel like i feel like the coronavirus has only just sped things up and made what is already going on more apparent um yeah it's 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 it, but it is surprising to see just to what degree uh congress people in the united states are incapable of supporting their own people like on so many dimensions, right? You see like people, they're, they're about to have an eviction, um, uh, I don't call it like an eviction apocalypse, I heard some people calling it, um, where you have up to like 40 million Americans that could potentially face eviction if they don't get their act together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the eviction uh, moratorium uh, already expired. Mm-hmm. Um, what a, what's an eviction more oh okay that you can't that you can't evict someone during this time yeah yeah it's, okay exactly. that's it but you know i'm glad you brought housing up because that for me is an interesting area which i know nothing about and i'm also gray about it um hasan minaj didn't did a did a very interesting episode i'm not sure if you watch it it was one of his first ones this season this year on um rent and the housing crisis and what happens if you don't pay your rent right and yeah, i saw that yeah and i didn't know that rent is prop property or is a part of property tax right or 
rent is a part of property tax like if i pay rent yes for the owner owner would pay property tax yeah so you just i pay rent right so and and they're also talking about how ontario when serb ends is possibly facing a huge uh tenant eviction crisis um Mm. And and especially because this new bill has given more power to landlords to bypass the landlord and tenant board. Um, mm. And then it makes them easier for, for them to evict. So, so many thoughts. Like, I understand that um, you may not have, from the tenant's perspective, I get that you may not have money to pay rent. Mm-hmm. Got it. From the owner's perspective, and I'm talking about, the owner of one house, one apartment, not one of those like o- landlords, which own, you know, a building or something. Yeah, or the something, whole complex. Yeah. I'm not talking about the, like those guys I think are a bit, for them, the story is a bit different. Like, and I think power needs to be taken away from them a bit. But I'm talking about like single homeowners, they are paying mortgage, right? And yeah. if so, if the tenant doesn't pay more, if the tenant doesn't pay rent, then they, how do they pay mortgage? And if they can't pay mortgage, then property tax is being, the government is getting, local governments are getting fewer revenue from property tax, right? Yeah. which means there's less money to be put out to give back into society. You know, so mm. I'm very confused about what the proper way to handle proper way to handle this is so that you're protecting both the tenant and single homeowners and then also collecting revenue for the government and of course keeping in mind that the government always clamps down on working class people when in fact they could raise taxes for wealthy people keeping all that in mind you know so what, what what do you think yeah i feel like the um if you like you're saying like if you don't pay the rent then they can't pay their mortgage and if they don't pay their mortgage then i guess they default on that and the bank can't pay back their debts or recoup their investments i guess it all like ends at the bank um ultimately i think you could solve the problem probably the best way to do it because our economy is completely consumer focused um which which is not a good thing in my opinion like it's obviously not ideal because that means you know, people overconsume a lot of the times and we have a lot of environmental problems related to that, but that is like the reality in a consumer focused economy, people are gonna basically be screwed if the, if the buying stops, right? We'll go into a recession because like, if you can't afford to, if you lose your job, you can't afford to go out to the restaurant. That means the restaurant has to close, which means the people who work at the restaurant can't afford to go buy stuff at the Walmart or whatever. Like you have this cont- entire, wave uh, of activity that starts to build up as a result of this. I think the only way to really remedy that for, for, for this kind of situation is the government has to give money directly to people. Um, So I'm very much in favor of doing like a universal basic uh, income payment out to people so that they can continue to keep up their spending, which means they can continue to employ people and keep the economy afloat. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm with you. Do you like, Serb is sooner or later going to come to an end. I don't think they're extending it. They've extended the wage subsidy. But for all the momentum that was like built up over UBI through this pandemic, do you see it becoming a possibility at all? 
anywhere in the world. I know Spain has implemented like for their yeah. poorest population. Yeah, 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 that's really encouraging. I don't think the liberal government will do it. I don't think they want to set too much of a precedent precedent of helping people that much. <laughs> so. uh, you're right. And I think they get too much, um, like most people think that CERB happened because of the liberal government when in fact it was the pushback from NDP. And I think they just, like they're getting too much credit for a policy that they didn't necessarily want to uh, introduced in the first place, right? Or am I getting this wrong? That's it. Yeah, I'm actually not sure. I know the NDP was instrumental in get, extending the CERB. Uh, I feel like the liberal like, students, yeah, like, economic resources. I feel like the liberal government wanted to change uh, EI or broaden it, right? Yeah, and yeah. then and then NDP was like, no, you need like people need a fast and simple um response right now and ei won't be able to handle um so many people unemployed at once and i think that's why they pushed for serb which i kind of see because that's what's happening in the states right like just Mm. you know we see all those like mammoth queues outside of unemployment offices across the country so yeah I, i feel like the liberals get a bit too much credit on that front yeah well, in the states right now, the um, their insurance uh, unemployment insurance plus up is ending today, so they were giving an extra six hundred dollars a week to people who are on unemployment, mm-hmm. and that's coming to a stop today. So they'll no longer get the six hundred dollar plus up, which means they'll only get their like base level unemployment payments, which in the United States for a lot of people is very low. Um, <clears throat> so some people are going to be really really struggling a lot of those people are not going to be able to make their rent. The eviction moratorium also just ended, which means that they can now be evicted, many of them. So that's why people are saying there could be like a really bad crisis of homelessness in the United States if they really don't get their act together. And the degree to which Congress is not acting on what should be a very obvious solution is actually, it's not shocking in the way that I knew these people that, you know, they never they're not looking out for the best interests of the American people. That's not shocking to me, but the degree to which they've shown that they don't care is kind of shocking. Yeah. Right. Like how, how is this even in your interest? If, if, yeah. if you're selfish people, you're, this is going to lead to social unrest. I assume like, how can you have so many homeless people without something massive happening that, that ruins, that disrupts your status quo? That's, that's the crazy part of it too. You'd think even, and that's what, that's what I'm hearing. Uh, some people in the White House administration are trying to kind of ease this a bit. They want to get the unemployment insurance plus up back out there because even they know, even from selfish like Wall Street interests, they know that this is going to crash the economy and it's going to be bad for their investments, right? It's a consumer-based economy. Like if they don't, if they, if they don't want to even hurt themselves and their rich friends, Like they're even acting against their own interests, which is like strange. So I don't know if they just don't understand what's happening or if they've really driven themselves into an ideological corner of of not, they don't want to set any kind of precedent of actually supporting people. It's it's, Mm -hmm. it's a strange phenomenon. Maybe it kind of goes back to what you said about Ghislaine Maxwell. Like maybe they're so far away from reality that 
Mm-hmm. Like, is maybe this is the way that they think that, oh, it's okay, like, things will bubble over and eventually things will go back to normal and we just have to sit it out and replacing Trump maybe, uh, getting a more um, respectable, normal person in office who presents himself well will change things. Like, maybe this is the way right. they actually think. But yeah. I do wonder, like, for all the hate that's thrown towards Trump, I wonder if any other politics, let's say if Biden had been in place, like the only thing I see him that he would have done differently probably is um, maybe address the protests a bit better or address and address the virus a bit better in, in, sen- in the sense of not denying it. Like those are the mm. only things where I feel like he would have responded a bit better. But do you think that he again this is complete speculation but like do you think he would have done anything differently economically it's hard to say it's because right now the democrats are pushing for continuing the 600 dollars plus up uh for unemployment and also continuing the eviction moratorium but it's hard to say whether or not they actually want these things because they're not pushing very hard for it so i feel like i feel like both parties kind of play this game where kind of neither of them want to be in power because neither of them want to do anything and it's easier for them to not do anything and criticize the other party if they if they're not the ones responsible mm-hmm. um like right now the republicans are trying to figure out how little money they can give to people so they've they've proposed giving a 200 dollars plus up instead or even a 100 dollars plus up they're basically trying to see like how little money can we give people so that they can weather the storm and kind of like skate by like they they don't want people to live in any kind of comfort or dignity that's not what they're concerned with they're just like how do we get what's the bare minimum mm-hmm. and it's it's weird it's yeah it's very it's such a weird response i just don't understand it i it like yeah i just don't get how this serves anybody's interest to have like your soft mm. power is ruined um Apparently, there was this one story about how, and I'm, I think this is obviously temporary, but you know how um, passports are also revealing of how powerful your country is, right? And like the US, right. uh, the American passport is very powerful because you can pretty much travel anywhere in the world you want, barring maybe a few countries. Like I'm pretty sure Iran is like one of the few countries that you can't just travel to, right? Mm-hmm. But now, no, I think now the with an American passport, you can travel to like, that that number has been significantly reduced, right? So right. you're losing your soft power. You've lost your soft power. People are, you know, looking at the way you respond to the crisis, being the most powerful country in the world. Who's going to take you seriously on any front, you know? So you're losing political will at home. Um, people are dying. Like, you, this, like, if this was a video game, like, this is game over, you know? You, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just it's been a weird response for me. I just don't understand it from a political vantage point as well. Um, but Hey, let me ask you the big elephant in the room. Do you think Trump is going to (laughs) win? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, right now he's pretty unpopular because of the way they're handling the pandemic. Um, but you, you never know. There's still, even in a few months, like the polls could shift and Biden is such a weak candidate that literally anything could happen. 
You know what I mean? Like if there was a lot of popular support behind Biden, like the way people support Bernie, like really passionate base or something like that, then you'd yeah. say, okay, we're probably, probably going to be Bernie, but I'm still like, anything could happen. Have like you Biden, seen those ads, by the way? Are they real? Settle for which, Biden? Which one? Settle for <laughs> Biden. I think that is a real thing. I think it is. is yeah. Is that from their own campaign? No, it's not from the Biden camp. I think it was like ex-Warren employees or something like that. Really? Who trying to be like, oh, come on, settle for Biden. Settle for Biden. I'm just like, that is so <laughs> embarrassing. It is. It <laughs> is. I think it's not effective. <laughs> <laughs> and they had a list of people. Warren settling for Biden. Maybe you should too. <laughs> oh yeah, that's oh my god. <laughs> that was hilarious. But Kyle Kalinsky, no, who Sager says this a lot. So one of these guys says it a lot that mm-hmm. he is the luckiest person, luckiest president. Ever. I mean, luckiest. Biden? Yeah, if he becomes president, he's just going to be the luckiest one ever. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel bad for him to be honest. I feel like he's. He, I feel like he's like. Did you see the last clip of him where he forgot where he was? Oh my god, no! I haven't been following. See, I feel bad when this shit happens, but tell yeah. me. Yeah, I well, I, I forget what where the where he actually was, but he came out on stage and he was just like, "Great to be here at the so and so," and then he kind of stopped and he goes, "No, that's where I used to work down the road. That's a joke." And then he kind of like God. kept going. So he legitimately oh. did not know where he was. So he wasn't being funny. I don't think so. I think he actually just forgot where he was for a second as he like approached the stage to begin speaking. Oh my God. It he, almost seems abusive I, to like put him into yeah, this high stress job. I'm like, abusive is such a good word. I'm torn between like, Clearly, you're making some sort of a choice, but also torn because you're not in the right state of mind to make that choice. I'm just, I'm torn. Mm. You know, it, I hurt, like, it hurts me to see that you're, you know, like a global figure. You're just like perishing in front of the world. Like, why is your family making you do that? Why are you, whatever decision making capacity you have, like, why are you doing that? And then also, you kind of deserve it if you're choosing this. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of sympathy for Biden, but it's just kind of, it's just sad to watch, to be honest. It's sad. Did you feel sad, by the way, when you watch Kanye West crying? Yeah, yeah. That was sad, He's clearly struggling with mental illness. I feel like someone's got to just pull the plug on that and just be like, no, this guy needs to be, like, medicated. He needs to see a a psychotherapist or something like that. I, I don't know. Has he always been like this? I haven't really followed. I think he's had bipolar for some time. Yeah. Or been exhibiting symptoms of it. That was just so sad. And like, I'm like, I think the worst part was for me was when he said that thing about his daughter. I'm like, why are you saying this on a public forum? And what if she doesn't know? And now it's for her to find out like this for whenever she does and for the world. He looks like he's suffering. Which is, and it's kind of weird because we have a weird culture around it where it's kind of like entertainment to make a new cycle or something like that. <laughs> but I kind of so feel true. like someone just needs to come in and be like, nah, this, this has gone far enough. <laughs> is he still running? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, he missed all of like the deadlines to like, get on any ballot. So. 
<laughs> I have no idea what's happening. Uh, it's been such an interesting year. Uh, yeah. It has, it has been such an interesting year. What do you think is going to happen um, to Canadians when CERB runs out? I don't know. That's a good question. Do you think there's going to be like a wave of evictions like they're worried about in the States? Um, I feel like, I feel like there is going to be, I feel like we're going to feel the economic crisis at post-CERB than we mm. have now. Like yeah. I have, I'm working again. I don't know. I have, again, like it's so hard to also know what is happening in real life because you're, I'm not like meeting a lot of people and interacting with a lot of people to know what's happening in real life in real time. I don't know. I haven't really spoken to my friends who are renters and for most part, everyone that I know moved back with their parents um, mm. or family, you know? So I honestly, I'm not sure. I don't know what is happening on the ground enough to comment on that. But given what I have read on the news, which I'm also a little skeptical of at sometimes because some of these news stories are such um, anti, they're from the point of view of hating on Ford and hating on the conservative party. And I'm not sure how much of it is the truth, but I can say that the bill will make it easier um, to bypass the board. Cause like from what I've read of the bill makes it easier to bypass the board, makes it easier to evict tenants. Mm. Um, I'm not sure to be honest, but I'm just thinking like if the, if like restaurants are opening now, you know, they're a big employer of, um, big employer of people, women, young people, restaurants are opening now, but they're not going to be open in full capacities. Nothing is kind, nothing is really open at full capacity. Right. So mm. there's still going to be unemployed or underemployed people and i'm not sure if ei will cover them because ei is a bit narrow so i i'm confused i i feel like the the crisis will be felt now because the serb was a bit cozy um and i'm not sure how many people realize that you have to pay tax on it and it is right you know, so after tax it's not that cozy um so just thinking out loud, talking out loud, lots of ifs and buts, but I'm not sure. Even before tax, it's still, what does it come out to? It's $2,000 a month, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so $24,000 a year. I think the poverty line is $19,000 yeah. in Ontario. Yeah. So I, I Cozy know, like was the Toronto... wrong. Yeah, cozy was yeah, the yeah. wrong word, but maybe because yeah, a lot of... It's not like the Americans, like, the, yeah. like a bit more... Leeway. Exactly. The bar is so low that when yeah. you get help, it's like, ooh, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's crazy. That Trona Star article, though, where they were trying to, like, make it out to seem like this person was living lavishly because I guess they were spending, you know, money on gifts and Botox or whatever. But <laughs> I thought it's just so. weird. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why we could say she is deserving of the money regardless of how she wants to spend it and how the spending is good for the economy. But yeah. all that, that aside, it's not a lot of money. And the <laughs> fact that she had, the fact that she had money left over to spend was mostly 
they don't really highlight this was mostly because of the fact that she only spends like $670 on rent because she lives in a basement with two people. So it's just like, exactly. most people can't find a rent that cheap anywhere in Toronto. Like at least she, so she's really sacrificed there yeah. and I'm sure she can spend some money somewhere else. And I like how, I think the funniest part of me was Uber everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do you, do Uber's you re- everywhere Uber's for $75 everywhere. a month. month. That's not Ooh. everywhere. <laughs> That's like, maybe it's they'll like come out Ubers. to like, exactly. And I'm like, I'd much rather be taking an Uber right now than getting on the TTC. So, right. I, okay, do Uber everywhere. And it's, mm. it's like, it was, su- they were such subtle digs, you yeah. know? And it was, it was kind of embarrassing on their front. Um, Damn, I wanted to ask you something. I really can't remember now. Um, damn, I can't remember. But yeah, what do you like? Yes, this is what I think. This is what I want to wanted to ask you when we were talking about UBI. Like, what okay. what will it take? What political will does it take for good change to happen? Hmm, political will. Yeah, because like the case for the the case for UBI has been there for for a long time, right? And most mm. of the theories have been debunked about making people lazy, and um, that's the biggest one, I think, that it'll make people lazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that like for me, this is I feel like, for example, in um, for example, there's so many laws which are for the better until somebody until that one odd fly breaks it and then it's like you see we told you so and then they disregard like 95 percent of the times that it does work right so what like what honestly what will it take for things to change given that a pandemic has laid bare like all the fault lines in our society right um especially on the economic and environmental front Mm. like we need to slow down if anything that's come out of this for me for the environment i think it's just you need to slow down you know Mm. and people don't have enough money you know so for all the sympathies that were expressed i feel like things are going back to or they're going back to the way they were before the pandemic and like Alberta is, 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 is clamping down even further on labor laws and union laws, Mm. oil, you know? So I like, I've been thinking a lot about like what, how does change happen at the political level? What, what will it take? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I feel a lot of our politicians, a lot of our leaders in society are not only not helping us, they are actively making the situation worse or their failure to act in the face of problems like coronavirus is just putting people in in a really precarious, terrible state of being. So I I feel like it's, um, I I would refer to a lot of them as being worse than useless. And right now (laughs) society is kind of like progressing forward at like the speed of a rowboat where we want to be like in a speedboat. And (laughs) I think the way we like make that transition is we we have to we have to get new leadership. I think that's a big part of it and we need better mechanisms of keeping our leadership accountable. Um because I feel like a lot of these problems What's that? What so, what do you think what do you think those mechanisms can be? Cuz you're right. Well, expanding democracy I think is like the biggest one. 
a lot of the Americans, a lot like corrupt, whatever, even Republicans will say, oh, our democracy, our freedom. They talk a lot about democracy, but the truth is, is that they hate democracy. And if there was actual democracy, there would be accountability to leaders. So what, and also, you know, socialists, like a big uh, element of like the modern socialist movement is about democratizing the workplace. So it's mm. taking this thing we say we absolutely love that works great in society, allegedly, and expanding it to the place where we spend most of our lives, like into the workplace, right? So I what, think what, a lot is, of these what people, does that look like, though? Like democratizing the workplace, like every worker has a stake in the company. It could, it could look like a lot of different things. Yeah. So so basically giving everyone a voice and and kind of like decentralizing power, making sure everyone has some degree of power. So like maybe maybe the way that looks is you vote for your C-suite executives or something like that if you're in a more traditional office structure, right? Like instead of them being appointed by managers or C CEOs or whatever, the, or boards, you would let the people vote on who they think should be leading the organization. Or maybe that just means that the people themselves vote on initiatives directly mm. um, or like some like, kind of process like that. This is a very, I'm, I'm asking because I know nothing about this. So like this may be um, playing devil's advocate, but then what is like, and this, I'm pretty sure this is the our capitalist argument, but if I have founded a company, then I understand people buying shares, which is what happens now. But like, mm -hmm. if I have founded a company, why, do, why, why does someone else get to decide now whether I should be the head of the company or not? So I, I guess you could make a few different arguments. One would be the fact that you may have founded a company, but you don't own the roads, for instance. You don't own the invention, you know, like a computer, how much um, public funded research went into being able to make that possible, how much money was spent by the public to train the entire workforce so that you can even go. Like you didn't right. train, you didn't put those people in a school. You didn't, a lot of these things are government expenditures or even just like having, not that I want to defend the police, so obviously a big question on that, but even having a police force to defend your property or having healthcare to make sure your workers are healthy enough to work. So a lot, a lot, like when you think about it, how much is this person actually bringing to the table relative to what are public expenses that people have collectively put into, into their tax dollars to make this mm. thing actually possible? That's so I think there's point. maybe like yeah. a cultural narrative that overstates the actual role of some of these leaders. To start something doesn't necessarily mean a lot. To, to actually make something possible, to actually build it, to actually make something exist is way, way, way harder. You know, if you go to like a, if, if you go to like a meetup for like startup people or something like that, because I'm a software developer, like a million ideas people will come up to you and be mm -hmm. like, oh, I got this idea. It's like Uber for dogs or something. And it's like, <laughs> do you want to build it for me? I'll give you 1% equity. <laughs> that's it? Be like, well, I'm joking. But the, that's kind of like, that's kinda like yeah. the pitch. Even if they say we'll go 50-50, but I won't do any work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like there's, a, there's a crap load of these people floating around. And I think that's a cultural problem. It's right. like some of the cultural myths we have about individualism versus collectivism like a lot of society moves forward in large part due to collective actions you know steve jobs didn't invent an iphone he may have had a like abstract idea and sure that's valuable to have someone who can think 
you know, abstractly mm -hmm. and philosophically and come up with these ideas. But I think we have to just recognize that these things move forward due to the efforts of the collective and that you aren't entitled to anybody's labor. Mm. So I think, that I think up, there's a lot of aspects of it, yeah. It throws up so many interesting ideas. Like, so what is the value of an idea compared to the value of labor because I'll, one is not possible without the other? An idea, so it's uh, the guy who runs the website, uh, Nomadless, I think it's called, he had a great thing on this where he was saying the value of an idea is like a multiplier. If you have a good idea, multiply that by the implementation, then you get the result. The value of an idea without any means of implementation is worth nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of if you're trying to build something like <clears throat> everyone has good ideas you know what i mean a lot of a lot of these things are kind of just floating around in the ether it's really delivering on the idea that's the difficult part it's a very good point like if you allow people enough time to get bored and by that i mean to allow their mind to wander you're right i think people have ideas whether they have the time to ponder about those ideas whether they have the means to implement I'm totally seeing what you're saying. I, yes. And it's like, I think it kind of goes back to if we look at our individual lives, then how much of it is based on sheer luck, right? The luck that I was born in a certain country to a mm. certain set of parents who belong to a certain um, economic class, you know, who were able to send me to a certain school. And then my own wherewithals, isn't that just sheer luck as well? You know, so many like lucky factors came into making me, how much of me am I responsible for? It's yeah. like free will walks, <clears throat> I personally think free will walks hand in hand with so-called destiny in the forms of like opportunities and opportunities coming your way that are a result of your networks, I guess, which is a result of your economic class, which is, a, you know, so we, you can go back mm. and back and back. That's such an interesting point. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you want to get like really philosophical about it, I agree with you. Like, I feel like <laughs> oh, Joe, Joe Rogan philosophical <laughs> philosophy. Um, Scratch you, your armpit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you, if you go like back far enough back into a person's life, that's kind of like a deterministic view of the universe. I would agree. Like people, people are basically born into these chance situations. You don't choose what brain you're born with. You don't choose what, qualities your brain has of what things you find easy what things you find hard what your struggles are you know you don't choose your body you don't choose your health you don't choose your parents you don't choose how wealthy your family situation is and then you're kind of this whole like decision making apparatus that is developed for us like as, as we mature is influenced then by a bunch of chance encounters of people we meet in the communities we live in so the whole thing really if you think about it feels like a completely like chance based system on what your lot of is in life. And I understand the idea of people, you know, choosing re to react in certain ways, but they're kind of making these decisions with, with that decision-making apparatus that was formed without their uh, will, like without, without deciding what it would be. Mm -hmm, so I mm -hmm. feel like in a way, like the, everyone is in a sense, victims of good or bad fortune to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. 
I kind of like what we were talking about in the beginning, our tribalistic nature. Like, I feel like we're still very, very tribal. And unless we, and again, like so much of it goes back to how much time you have, right? And a lot of people struggle with time because, you know, just got to do jobs to earn money, to pay rent, blah, 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 right? But unless you work, unless you like sit down and see why you're reacting in certain ways, you are just, you're just, you're just reacting, right? You're not thinking about, you're not necessarily thinking about the, the decisions you're making. That sounds awfully deterministic, but I feel like we constantly have to see, we we constantly have to see what our biases are, you know, like, why why do i prefer this to that why do i get angry when that happens to that happens why does that make me joyful like why why do i feel sad when i see that like uh, there has to be like um a dance between action and introspection so that we can truly understand whether we are acting out of free will or because of something that i'm not quite sure of you know you know how many cycles of of like poor leadership and how many cycles of like dis- like collective disgruntlement do we have to go through for substantial change? Like I'm craving for substantial yeah, yeah. change. <laughs> what, like it's... I felt like the pandemic was such it could could have been that. And now now I'm talking right. in past sense because it doesn't feel like it now that we've been in it for so many months. Um, well, there's this idea of like accelerationism. Which is like if things get bad enough, then eventually, like capitalism especially, will will just kill itself, and then we'll be forced to change. Um, there's also some like pushback on that theory because th- things could also change for the worse. <laughs> like we could go into like full fascism, but the that's that's one thing. Like hopefully, uh, out of this, hopefully something has to change. Like hopefully the system can't survive this big enough of a shock. Mm-hmm. and that there actually will be substantial change that comes a, as a result of it. Yeah, and some people are speculating whether there's going to be peaceful transfer of power this time in the States, right? So right. maybe, who knows? Um, we actually had so much more to talk about, but the, my computer battery is running <laughs> low. And so I feel like we may have to do part two of this if Nassim is up and sure, ready for it. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the list of things we had to talk about. And I think basically we didn't touch on a lot of that. So that's my bad because I was on a completely like meandering train today. <laughs> no, no, it was good. <laughs> this, was was a, this was a way for me to get back into the podcasting group again because I was yeah. feeling burnt out. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. News can be a lot. Um. Yeah. Anyways, Nassim, thank you so much for coming on board and being such a nice champion of the show. Sure. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, that was another episode of The Nth Dimension after a long, long break. So thank you so much, honestly, for tuning back in and listening if you have been. And um, I just wanted to try something different with this episode. I've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan during the pandemic, and I quite like his style of just calling different people on and going and seeing where the conversation goes. And that's a that's something I wanted to do. And um, I hope you enjoyed it. Please do follow me on the Nth Dimension on Twitter at underscore Nth Dimension. And have listened to this episode so far, then do let me know. How did you like it? Should we carry on? 
um, any other topics. Um, am thinking of doing something on Indian matchmaking and cancel culture for the next few episodes. So, so do come back and I hope you keep listening to The Ants Dimension. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.